Uh, man, God, you know everything. Um, you know us. Um, and God, you know that many of us here today are, are hurting and broken and uh, struggling, wrestling, maybe even confused, God, of what's transpired over the last few hours, um, over the last 48 hours or so. And so, um, God, we want to open ourselves up to you now in these moments um, that you may speak to us. Um, comfort us and uh, send us out of this place. God, I pray that we, we couldn't possibly leave this place um, in the same way that we got here um, because of what you want to say to us. And so, um, God, let this time be fruitful um, and let your word speak uh, powerfully to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, it really is um, an honor to be with you guys uh, here this morning. So uh, I'll take you back about 20 years. Um, to my, my younger years when I was a child, around seven years old. Uh, I grew up in Baytown, Texas, so not too far from here. Uh, if you know anything about Baytown, we got a super sketchy mall there. Um, so like, um, you, it's like most sketchy places, right? You, you don't go to those places at night. You don't go to this mall during the day. Like, it's that sketchy. Um, and so when we would go to the mall, we would drive out here to Baybrook Mall. Like, that was the spot to do any shopping that was worthwhile um, in the area. And so I have, I have a memory um, of coming to the mall quite a few times, but there was, there was a time in particular um, that me and my family came to the mall. Um, you may know this about me also, um, so you may not be surprised to hear this, but I, I get distracted very easily, um, and especially at that age, I mean, just effortlessly distracted. And so at this particular trip to the mall, uh, we're going on, doing our thing, probably just bought a pretzel or something, we're shopping around different stuff, and um, we're walking, and I begin to realize as I look around uh, that my family is not with me like I thought they were. Um, and they had found the store that they were looking for and ducked in and expected that I was paying attention and walked into the store with them. And sure enough, I keep going, um, and I am completely lost. And at the age of seven, uh, you might imagine some of the things that are running through my head, like, OMG, where are my parents? Um, fear, anxiety, worry, all of those things begin to settle in. Um, I, I didn't have a cell phone at the time. I don't even think my parents had a cell phone at the time, so there was no way to get a hold of them. I didn't even know how to get to the car um, if they were there by chance, all this stuff. So I'm, I'm frantic as a seven-year-old inside of this mall, um, lost from my parents, them lost from me, um, you, you know that feeling too, though, right? Like whether, whether you have a story similar to mine, whether you got lost from your parents at a young age or you just took a wrong turn going to an important meeting that you're running late for, um, whatever the scenario is, right? Like, like lostness, like the feeling of being lost, like nobody enjoys that. I've never talked to anyone. I mean, the last three hours of my life were so great just wandering around trying to find what I needed to find. Nobody says that, right? So being lost isn't fun. And it does bring those thoughts of fear and anxiety um, and even hopelessness. And uh, I, I realize even probably this morning for many of us coming into to this, based on what's transpired in your community or the surrounding community in Santa Fe, um, there may even be feelings of, of just lostness in that, not knowing what to say, not knowing how to feel, what to do, feeling helpless. Um, there, there's a lot of that. I, I, I know I've felt some of that, and I know many of us in this room are feeling that. Um, and, and the reality is, is, is that those feelings can be crippling. Those feelings can be really crippling to just be stuck in a place that you can't quite get out of. Um, so I'm aware of the sensitivity of that, and I think um, that God's Word has a lot to say about it. Um, and so I'm hopeful that the time that we spend this morning, um, when we dive into the Scriptures together, 
um, that, that we will be able to find some encouragement in that. Um, over the last few months, actually, um, there's been a couple worship songs that have been really meaningful to me. Um, and at first, they were just good songs. Like, they just sounded great, and I enjoyed singing them. Um, first one is So Will I by Hillsong, and the next one is Reckless Love by Corey Asbury. You've probably heard us sing them from this stage, but if you haven't, you need to go listen to them. Um, and just great songs, but again, at first, just kind of just good songs is all they were. But as I started to listen to the lyrics, I started to be captivated by some of the words that were chosen to, to write those songs. And, um, and what I began to do was try to trace that back to Scripture, and I began to dive into the words of Jesus um, that are the origin of those songs. And, and, to, and, and captivated is the only word that I can come up with at my heart, at a heart level, uh, was being drawn into to those songs to want to sing them more um, and open my eyes to the reality of who God is. And, and with where we are right now and what's happened in the last 48 hours, I think the best thing for us would just to be to look to God to try to discover who he is and see what that has to say about how we can go forward with living the rest of our lives. And so uh, we're going to read a passage in Luke. It's Luke chapter 15. It's the first seven verses of Luke 15. Um, we're going to read that all together in its entirety. I'm going to run through it really fast. And then for the rest of the time this morning, we're just going to take blocks of that. And we're going to talk about um, what God's Word says and what Jesus is saying and try to discover who God is and, and what He's trying to reveal to us through His Word. And, and praise God that we have um, this book that God has gifted us to, to know better who He is. Um, so, so go with me to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You can find it on the screens. Um, I'm going I'm to read this for us. It says this, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And there's, there's something going on in that text and in those songs that I, I've been singing and listening to um, that I think, that I think uh, shines light on, on where we're at today. Um, the first is this. When you read the New Testament, um, right, in verses 1 and 2, we see it outlined pretty clearly, right? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Like there's something that Jesus has that people want to hear, that people want to know. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You see the interactions that Jesus has with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time, and you begin to see there's a stark difference between what the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, how they view God and who is allowed to be godly um, versus what Jesus says. And I was freshly reminded that this church which has been in existence for 20 years, you drove past a sign that came in this morning, when you came in this morning, that says, come as you are, that that, that, that motto and that phrase comes directly from Jesus, that he was about breaking down every barrier that anybody would ever have to have the opportunity to hear the message that he's sharing. He was about shattering that. And so, like the Pharisees would say, like, you're not good enough. Your life isn't in a good enough place that you can be here for this. Jesus would say, no, come as you are. 
And he would even go as far as to step into their space, to step into their kitchen, to sit down at their table and eat meals with them. And once again, the, the Pharisees are seeing that and are appalled by that. My good friend Katie, who was cracking the joke before she uh, got off the stage, I heard her say this recently, and it really, it really helped me in understanding this. She said, uh, like, Jesus isn't about making bad people good. He's about bringing people, uh, dead people to life. He's about bringing dead people to life. And you see that in Jesus' ministry There's so much at stake that he's going into the house of the sinner and the tax collector to eat meals with them, right? You want to know um, what this tells us about who God is, right? God is not this lofty, far off away God that we cannot reach and interact with. Actually, he is this God who intimately steps into our space to be in relationship with us. When we wrestle with things and when we're confused and we don't know what to do or say, he's not so far off that we can't reach him. He's actually right here with us. That's good news. That's good news. And that's who God is. He can't help it. Jumping into verses 3 and 4, it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Right, we've all been here, so go with me for a moment. Right, When was the last time you lost something of value? Can you think of that? When was the last time you lost something of value? What, what were the emotions in your head? What were the feelings in your heart, the things, uh, the actions that changed because of this? Uh, there was, for me, there was a day, it was right about a year ago this time, um, it's a very memorable day for, for many reasons. I'd actually just been at a retreat um, in the Dallas area with the student ministry team. We had this phenomenal um, a time at a conference doing um, some stuff there. Um, and the day that I was returning, um, I hadn't seen my wife and my daughter in a few days, so I was extra excited just to get to see them. And we had made plans to meet at uh, the mall for dinner. And so we're getting together. And actually, as soon as I got there, uh, my wife gave me the amazing news that we were pregnant with our second child. And so, um, obviously, lots to celebrate and rejoice. And so, the day is super memorable um, in that way. But also, uh, what transpired is that um, on that day, uh, my wife happened to look down at her wedding ring and notice that uh, the diamond in her ring was gone. And so, somewhere from the travels of Arlington, Texas, where she was at with her family, to back home here in Houston, the diamond was gone. Um, and so you can imagine for us, as much as that we were celebrating in that day, um, we were on the hunt, turning the house upside down, turning the car inside out, calling the restaurants that we had visited that day, saying, has, has anybody seen this precious diamond of ours, of my wife's, right? And you know those thoughts and those feelings, right? Something that was so precious to us, right? A diamond, it has, it has a lot of monetary value. So there was a part of that, sure. But, but the memories attached to that? Like the day that I got down on a knee to give her that ring um, and to ask her to marry me and her saying yes and then going through the premarital process and counseling, getting to the day where we actually stood on this stage in front of our family and our friends and we committed to a life together before God, right? All of those things are flooding. They're attached. They, like, they play a part in the value of that ring. And it was gone just like that. And so like the emotions and everything going on, right? I can't help but think um, about uh, the shepherd in this story as he's uh, checking over the flock like he would probably do multiple times a day, and he begins to count, and he gets to 99, and he's short when he thinks, oh, well, that's a lot of sheep, so I must have missed one. I'll count again and count again and count again, and to come up short, the thoughts of, where is he? Where'd he go? Right? The frantic thoughts begin to settle in. 
right? There's, there's value there. And when we lose something of value, um, it hurts deeply, right? The difference being actually a couple years ago, I'm afraid to admit this actually um, as a Cowboys fan. A couple seasons ago, I was at a Texans game. I know, I don't know what I was doing there. Actually, my brother and I went to a game together. We had a really good time. Um, and I, uh, we get to, the game's over, we're leaving. We're almost to the parking lot, so we've exited the stadium. We're way up in the nosebleeds, so it's a really long walk. We get down and out of the stadium, and I realize I left my sunglasses. And so the thought was, well, darn, I should go get those. And that was quickly overcome with, no, actually, I shouldn't. Like, I bought those at Walmart. Those are cheap. I don't, I don't need those glasses. It would be much easier for me to just go buy a new pair, um, which is what I did, right? Do you see the difference between those two scenarios, right? The, the thoughts and emotions, like, qu- I quickly got over it, honestly, like, and I forgot them. I've probably lost 10 pair of the same sunglasses since then in the last two years because they're not important. There's not much value there. And to hear Jesus share a story of a shepherd who pursues a lost sheep tells me a little bit about this shepherd. It tells me a little bit about him. It says that he is committed to the care of his flock, every one of them. Would it have been easier just to replace him? Absolutely. But for this shepherd, he said, it's worth it. I'm committed to the care, to the to the protection, to the, prov- to the provision of this flock. Like he saw value in that sheep. And here's what we need to understand about that value. This is really important, a bit of a disclaimer, right? Like the shepherd doesn't look at, at that sheep and think, man, you bring so much value to me that without you, I, I can't go on. That's not the case. The shepherd can, can carry on without this sheep, but it's that he doesn't want to. And the truth about God is that he does not need us We do not add value to him and who he is. He's the God of everything. He doesn't need us. But there's something so sweet in the truth that despite the fact that he doesn't need us, he still pursues us. And he brings us back. Do you get that? Like in the midst of the reality that he doesn't need us, he wants us. And he sets out to find us. That's huge. He's committed to the care of his flock. And that's really good news. Verses 5 and 6 continue. He says, uh, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Right? So it's very specifically, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. You know that the essence and definition of lostness is an inability to get back to where you belong. Right, that's the whole point of being lost. Right? You have no ability in and of yourself to get back where you belong, to return home, or to return to the destination that you need to be at. That's what being lost is. It's completely debilitating. It's hopeless. And you need somebody to step in and reverse that, to fix that. And it can't happen on its own. And here's what we see out of this shepherd, is that when he finds the sheep, He joyfully throws it over his shoulders and carries it home. Now, I find it interesting that when we read the story, when Jesus tells it, he he doesn't say, he grabs a leash and throws it around the neck of the sheep and just calmly walks it back home. He doesn't say he grabs some bread and, and, and tosses crumbs along the path to entice him back to the place where he belongs. He doesn't say that. It says he, he picks him up. He does the extra work to pick him up and carry him home. And I can't help but think that the shepherd does this because he wants to eliminate any opportunity that that sheep 
might be attracted to something else. Whatever that thing was that caused him to wander in the first place, the shepherd says, I will stop at nothing so that, that this sheep does not wander away from me again. So he, with much love, picks up the sheep and carries him home so that he cannot get away. And how loving is God that he would do that for us? And not only does he just pick us up, he does it with joy. Here's the, here's the truth about who God is that's so crucial in understanding this, is that, that, uh, that God did not wait. This shepherd did not wait for the sheep to come to his senses. He did not wait for him to figure out a solution out of his own lostness before he acted. The shepherd pursued, right? Our God is an initiator. He makes the first move. And we've made plenty of moves, all of those moves leading us further and further away from God, yet he still moves toward us and pursues us. I mean, how cool is it that our God is an initiator? We spent some time in student ministry recently reading through the book of Hosea. And the book of Hosea is this powerful representation of a marriage between Hosea and his wife Gomer and her, her terrible decision to leave her husband and to live in sin and his pursuit of her. And it is this beautiful picture of God and his pursuit of his people. It is a beautiful picture of the lost sheep that even when we are yet in sin, God still loves us and chases after us. He pursues us. And he does it with joy. Can you imagine the frustration maybe Right, rightful amount of frustration for him to find the sheep and say, get back over here. You're not supposed to wander this way. But he doesn't. He picks him up joyfully and he returns home to be restored to the way that he was. Hope is restored when the sheep is found. Hope is restored when the sheep is found. Um, you'll, you'll be glad to know that uh, there's a good ending to the story because uh, for my wife and I in the frantic search, we actually didn't find uh, the diamond immediately, even to the point of going out and, and purchasing a new diamond um, so that we could uh, replace that one. But um, later that day after that happened, lo and behold, in the smallest crevice and corner of the house, the light catches the diamond just right and we see it. And there it is. And can you imagine the joy in our hearts when we found that diamond to know that those memories are still intact, that we still have that together? And what was my wife's first reaction? Yes, we hugged and kissed and we celebrated together, but she grabbed the phone, y'all. She called her mom, she called her dad, she called her siblings, she called everybody. She said, it's found, we found it, it's good. Everything's been restored. And, and they shared in rejoicing with us that that, that was going to be a, a tragic ending for us if, if we had to say goodbye to that diamond, but we didn't. And it was restored, right? That's good, good news. Restoration brings God joy. Verse 7, it says this, says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Do you want to know what the heart of God is like? Like, it's hidden right here in verse 7. Like, do you want to know what gets God excited? Do you want to know what he cares most deeply about? And he cares so deeply about the restoration of what is rightfully his, his prized possession, his creation, and that's us. And as Jesus tells this story, I can't help but think about this, right? If, if rejoicing and joy in these words that are attached to this story are the result of the lost being found, can you imagine the sorrow that God's heart feels in separation? Can you imagine the, the sorrow 
that is, that is breaking the heart of God when, when he is separated from, from what is rightfully his, when the sheep wanders away from the shepherd, the worry about his well-being and the desire to see him come home is so strong. And Jesus is saying, like, that, that's the desire that God has for you and for me. Like, this is, the, this is the heart of God. We can't miss this. We cannot miss this. What I've been just wrecked with as I've continued to read through um, Luke chapter 15 is just simply how much God loves me. Just simply how much he loves me. And I hope that as we've read this together, that's exactly where your heart goes. Uh, we, we can't miss a small detail, a part of this, this story, right? That in order for, for the shepherd to seek and save and find the lost sheep, he had to leave behind the 99. And those 99 were perfectly safe. You know, they made a decision. They're going to stay close to their protector, to their provider. They're doing exactly what they knew they needed to do to be safe. And the one decides to wander off. And the shepherd says, man, I see you and I love you and I want you back so much so that I'll leave behind the 99 so that I can get you and restore you back to me. The reality of that is astounding. God doesn't need us. He wants us. The shepherd didn't need this lost sheep. He wanted him so deeply. And I want you to know that we need Jesus in that same way. We need Jesus in the exact same way. Our circumstances cannot change on their own, and we do not have the power to change them ourselves. But Jesus does, and he's willing. He's willing to pursue you so that your circumstances can change. This is a question that I've had to come face-to-face with um, for weeks and especially now. And I think maybe some of you have come face-to-face with this too, and and I think it would be worth us spending some time thinking about this. And here's, here's the question. Is it possible that God could love me in this way? Is it possible that, that, that a shepherd would, would leave behind everything that he had to restore me back to where I belong? Is it even possible for that guy over there or that lady over there? Because, I mean, they're kind of trapped in some pretty bad stuff, and it, it looks ugly. And, and is it even possible for them, for God to, to do that for them, to love them in that way? Is it even possible... For God to love a young man who could walk into a school and steal the lives of loved ones and change realities and to wreak havoc in a way that um, our hearts and our minds will never understand. Is it possible that God could love him in this way? And please hear me say this. Please hear me say this. And not only is it possible, but it is true. It is the reality that God would look at him and he would look at you and he would look at me and he would say, I love you in that way, that I will leave the 99 so that you can be restored back to me. Man, what good news. And I know that's hard for us to wrap our heads around. And it is for me. But God's heart and his deepest desire is that you would be restored back to him. 
He doesn't need you. He wants you. Guys, there's only two people in this room. There's only two kinds of people in this room. There's lost and there's found. There's lost and there's found. And I really think there's only one response to to this day, to this message, to this time, to what's going on in our world. And that response is surrender. It's the only response. Whether you're lost or you're found. Whether you've wandered away and something is enticing you away from God. Or whether you found him recently. Like surrender is the response. Like for that lost sheep, there has to be a willingness to let the shepherd pick you up. There has to be a willingness there. Because there's guilt and there's shame and there's all these things, right? Recognizing that I, I ran away and you don't, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve to come back. But, but letting go of that and allowing the shepherd to throw you over his shoulders and walk you back home and protect you the rest of the way. Surrender is the only appropriate response. And, and for those in this room who, who the Bible would say are found, those of you who put your faith and trust in Jesus and have been, begun following him, the, the, the response is the same, is that daily we, need, we must surrender to the leadership of the shepherd because that thing that was so enticing in our previous life is still enticing. It's still calling for you. It's still trying to pull you away so that you would wander away from the shepherd to try and find pleasure in something else. So surrender is the same response to allow God to lead each of us in the same way. I can't help but think that that some of us in this room may have convinced ourselves that God looks at us more like a cheap pair of sunglasses than he does a valuable diamond. And I would remind you that that God didn't choose to chase after you because of the value that you bring to him. He chose to chase after you because he loves you. That's why he wants to be back with you. So you can't doctor yourself up enough to increase your value that could possibly increase his value that would entice him enough to come after you. He's coming after you. And God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to play the role of the shepherd. And the way that he played that role was that he gave up his own life on the cross, offering you the complete and full forgiveness of your sin so that you may transfer leadership of your life to him and follow him for the rest of the days with the comfort and protection and provision of the shepherd right by your side the rest of your days. So if you're here and you've convinced yourself that God can't love you in that way, hear me say this, he can and he does. And the response for you is surrender. And it looks like this, to, to have a personal conversation with God, just between you and him, to say, God, I, I ask you for your forgiveness. Forgive the sins, past, present, and future of my life. And the scriptures say that you are forgiven if you ask for that. And that comes through, that forgiveness comes through the transfer of leadership. To say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't find my way back home. I'm a lost sheep. I need you to lead me there. And he's willing to do it. He's ready to throw the party. He wants you to do that. He wants you to surrender. So if that's you, you've seen this before, we're going to throw it up on the screens. If you want to have a personal conversation with God today to surrender your life to him and begin to follow him, I would urge you to text 63566 just with the word life to let us know that so that we can celebrate like like heaven celebrates in Luke chapter 15. 
And I would even uh, be honored to give you a personal call to talk to you about what the next steps of following Jesus look like, if that's the decision that you want to make today. And we're going to sing a song in just a second, um, and it's going to be a great time of reflection. And I would challenge you, if that's you, that you would reflect in that way this morning, to contemplate what it would mean to give your life to Jesus, to transfer from lost to found, from dead to alive, and allow heaven to celebrate the greatest decision of your life. And I would urge everyone else in the room who may already follow and love Jesus to use this time to reflect and be reminded of the price that was paid so that you could be found, so that you could transfer from death to life. So let's reflect on that together as SJ sings this song. Shadow, you won't light up, mountain. 
things that I'll never forget about uh, 20 years ago at that mall uh, was in the midst of the fear and the frantic thoughts of, oh my goodness, where, where did everybody go, uh, was the moment that my eyes saw my mom looking for me and the joy that quickly overcame every other emotion that was going on in my head just over the reality that she was looking for me. And when I didn't know where to look or where to go or what to say or who to talk to, I I had no clue. But in the midst of that, she was looking for me. And that's true today about who Jesus is and who God is, that he sent his son on a pursuit for you. And what a relationship with Jesus does in that is it rids all of the fear and the anxiety and the hopelessness that we have in the midst of our lostness. And so I hope that for each of us here today, we're incredibly encouraged about who God is and how he pursues us and the realities of that and how that changes everything. So I'm going to pray in just a second. And when I do, I want to remind um, everybody that our uh, board and pastors are going to be here at the front and would love the opportunity to pray for you with whatever you have going on in your life. Um, It would be a real joy to get to do that. And so please um, don't hesitate to come forward. God, we are so grateful that you would speak to us in this way this morning, that you would encourage us. God, can I thank you um, that you didn't leave us behind. That even though we don't add any value to you, you chased after us. God, I pray that 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 reality really would spill over into joy and rejoicing because we need that. So God, be with our communities as we heal, as we put the pieces back together, as confusion and just not knowing what to do grows. God, help us to understand that that's okay. Help us to rely on you for every moment of every day going forward. God, we trust you and we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.